Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 66 of the Australian Like a Podcast, and in this week's episode, we're discussing technology on the trail, specifically options for staying in touch with loved ones at home while you hike. Now, this topic um, is one that I've been thinking of for well over a year now, um, as I decide what I'm going to be using for my Bibbulmun track through hike later this year. And in that track, I'm going to be out of cellular range on a number of days on a hike that I expect to last somewhere between five and six weeks. Before we start talking tech, let's talk about why we would bother. I mean, people have been doing this for years without technology, right? But do we really need it? And this is where the discussion really starts, and along with some very quite passionate views from both sides of the debate. First, let's look at the negatives of carrying uh, communication devices on the trail, and more specifically, relying on them. The first and most obvious one is technology can fail. Batteries can go flat, and in some conditions, you may not get a signal out of the, on the device that you're using. And I've had first-hand experience at this. If we rely on technology and don't have the necessary skills to back us up, should the technology fail, then we run the risk of either losing focus and finding ourselves lost. So we don't want to get into a situation where we're relying on technology. And cost is another obvious one. Communication devices cost money to buy and may require additional running expenses, which can add up. So that's the basic overviews of the negatives. Now let's look at the positives. First one is that technology can help provide peace of mind to loved ones who are worried about how you're going on the trail. And in some cases, communications can be two-way. Yeah, um, often when Tim's off walking by himself, uh, for me this is a bit of a double-edged sword. I know you've got it down as a positive, um, but when I do um, watch the little point on the map navigate every 20 minutes and move along, I also get quite stressed when I don't see it move, um, and particularly when I know there's a storm in the area and um, something could have happened um, or not, uh, you just don't know. So for me, it is a bit of a complex one. Now, provided there is a signal, these options can also fulfill the function of an emergency beacon and quite possibly a GPS. And this can help minimize the amount of equipment you're carrying. So you don't necessarily have to carry a personal locator beacon and a GPS unit. Uh, the, the, some of these units can actually perform both functions in one. And we'll talk about those in a few minutes. Now, from our perspective, overall, we support the use of these devices, um, uh, but I still also support the view that you should build on your skills and ability. Uh, But no matter how fit, how skilled or how experienced you are, things can and do go wrong. You could trip or twist your ankle and find you're in the middle of nowhere. And at some stage, you're going to need this technology to potentially get you out if something does go wrong. So as a bare minimum, you should carry a personal locator beacon 
any time that you're likely to be out of phone signal, even if you're in the bush for just a few hours. And for us, even when we do a, uh, a short day hike, if we're going into an area where we know that we are out of phone range and there's not likely to be anyone else around, we will carry a personal locator beacon with us. Never have to use it. Hope we never have to. But it's one of those um, insurance devices just in case. So we're going to look at what technology options are available to keep us in touch with friends and family. Now, the first and most obvious one for most people is a mobile phone. Uh, now, according to the 2017 Deloitte Mobile Consumer Survey, 88% of Australians now own a smartphone. I'm also sure that there's probably another uh, amount of Australians that still aren't using smartphones and will just use the older, more traditional phones uh, so they can call for emergency just in case. And providing you're in range, you've got access to text messaging, email or voicemail. Although you may find in more remote areas where the signal's weak, you may not have access to all three of these. From a bushwalking perspective, the Telstra network is the way to go in Australia. And I've got no, no supporting reason for supporting Telstra other than it provides the best signal in remote areas. For a number of years, uh, I was with another phone network uh, and was quite happy with them. But I found between my work and the hiking that I was doing, um, I got tired of seeing other people that were with me being able to access their phones, uh, and I was standing right next to them and couldn't use mine. So for people that are dealing in remote areas on a regular basis, the Telstra network, like them or not, uh, is definitely the way to go. I think that might be a statement of um, competitive advantage or maybe monopoly, I don't know. Darling Triple O works well uh, using a mobile phone, except when there is no signal on any network. So you'll find that even if you're with uh, one of the other networks, uh, as long as one of the networks can you know, access the Triple O system, um, all the phones will have access to that. But that relies on there being access to that system. If there's no phone signal at all, um, a mobile phone is not going to help you. One of the things we strongly recommend you have on your phone is the Emergency Plus smartphone app. And this will bring up an app that will give you your exact location. So if you do have to call triple zero and call for help, you can give them the exact details of where you are. In a lot of cases, the phone network will be able to determine this. But again, it depends on the strength of your signal. So this app certainly is a big help. And as we mentioned before, the Australian Communications and Media Authority strongly recommend that you carry a personal locator beacon in remote areas. So again, as I said, something we strongly support. The next option is satellite phones. Now, this is next level technology and is great when you need to stay in contact in areas that you know you don't have mobile phone coverage. So... Um, the thing with with satellite phones is, though, unless you're running a business in a remote area, most people will typically tend to use satellite phones for emergencies, just in case. This technology for most people tends to be peace of mind, and it's not cheap, whichever way you look at it. And currently, there are four satellite networks in Australia. Certainly, the best worldwide coverage of the networks is through the Iridium network, not as reliable as other networks on the equator, 
phone handsets aren't cheap, but you know pretty much anywhere in the country you will get a good signal. Second network, Global Star, not as broad a coverage as Iridium, doesn't have an SMS facility or GPS like Iridium does. And again, like the Iridium, due to the type of satellites it has, it's not as reliable around the equator. Our third network is the Thuraya network. Uh, and this network currently covers 161 countries, is great pretty much for all of Australia. Uh, and this signal has certainly improved over the last few years. Uh, it's also good for Europe and most of, most of, but not all, Africa. So in other words, it doesn't actually cover South Africa. It also doesn't cover New Zealand or South America. So if you're planning on hiking in Australia and New Zealand uh, and want to take a satellite phone with you, this network possibly isn't the way to go for you. Having said that, if all you're going to be doing is hiking in Australia or hiking in Europe, it's a good way to go. Uh, the mobile handsets for Thraya tend to be cheap, relatively speaking, compared to, say, the Iridium handsets. And the last in, uh, network is the Inmasat, uh, which is the oldest of the network. That works in, in practice, so it must be doing something right to still be around. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to each of these networks. And really what I would suggest is if you're seriously looking at getting a satellite phone, go through and talk to a supplier of the phones, uh, explain to them exactly what you're after, uh, and see what's best, when to best use your option. Now, I have, do have occasion to carry a satellite uh, phone for work. Um, and, even though it's a work phone that I'm not personally paying for, we only ever turn it on when we need to make a, an urgent call or to check in at the end of the day. Um, but it's really rare. We tend to uh, let work know that we're going to be out of touch and we'll only contact them uh, just to check in. One of the things that uh, you need to be conscious of as well with satellites, uh, and it really does put them in the, the peace of mind category, is that data usage from mobile phones can be horrendously expensive. Now, I use around 40 gigabyte of internet data a month doing a podcast, uh, and I've tried this. Uh, I, I had a look on uh, in preparing for this podcast, and I picked one of the uh, the data plans for one of the, the phone networks, and if I happened to be in the middle of nowhere using the same amount of data, it would cost me around $6,000 a month. Um, so again, if you're doing this from a business perspective and you know there's justification for it, that's wonderful um, if you need internet access. But for most people, not really going to be an option. But you wouldn't really, though. I mean, if you're in the middle of nowhere, you wouldn't really be you know, messing around with 40 gigs of internet data a month, would you really? Well, I think, as I said, I think it's probably more a business case where you might be doing scientific research. You might actually be doing um, uh, conducting business in very remote areas, and there might be some justification for it. But, yeah, you really would want to justify the expense of spending $6,000 a month on, on using data. You can actually hire satellite phones, but you get to a stage where once you go past around about three, four weeks, it's almost worthwhile buying a handset. Um, so again, this is something you need to talk to a mobile phone or a satellite phone supplier uh, and find out what the options are going to be. Something that's come up into the market in the last few years is a thing called the sat sleeve or satellite sleeve. 
This device acts as a mobile, mobile cradle for your smartphone and turns your phone into a satellite phone. The advantage here is the functionality of a smartphone comes with, uh, uh, with this system, um, but you're still looking at a satellite phone where costs, uh, with a cost based on the plans from the Thuraya network who run this technology. You can also, again, deal with this through Optus Network, uh, but again, it's using the Thuraya network. Now, the last type of communication devices we're going to talk about for communicating with loved ones on the trail are messaging systems. Now, both of the following systems act as emergency devices as well as communications units, which means you don't have to carry a personal locator beacon. The first of these, um, and the cheapest to buy at least, is the spot unit. Uh, now, this unit is relatively inexpensive, and at the time of recording this podcast, cost of uh, the spot device is around about $240. Now, there is a catch to this. To use this unit, you have to have an annual satellite plan, which currently costs a minimum of $176 US dollars, and whatever that converts to in Australian dollars. That's for the first year, and then it goes up after that to 204 US dollars a year thereafter as you pay a network's maintenance fee. In addition to this yearly access fee, there are also optional add-ons that can really boost the pricing up on this. And I think for this year, for my spot, uh, the costing was around about $300 Australian. Um, so while the purchase price is quite cheap, um, you are up for $300, and that is an annual fee. Uh, so even if I only do one hike a year, I'm paying for that annual fee, and it can become quite expensive. So is that pretty obvious when you go and um, you know explore the purchase of the spot? Is that clear to people that that will be the cost, or is if, do you have to be careful about what what it might end up costing you? Well, I think I think for a lot of people, they they look at the device and thinking, yep, the device is pretty cheap. It's you know it's cheaper than a GPS. Uh, having said that, the spot really doesn't form a GPS function. The stores that sell these will actually advertise on their website, or if you go into store to buy, will actually let you know that you do need to purchase um, a satellite or a, a subscription service on this. But this is one of these things where you need to sit down and work out the costings. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes after we talk about our next device. The big benefit with this device is that people can actually follow you along online as you're moving. Now, as Jill mentioned, that uh, in uh, the day before Christmas in 2016, I hiked to Mount Bimbury in the um, uh, the Australian Alps National Park. Uh, this was a return trip of around about 54 kilometres, uh, and I was expecting to be away for around about 15 hours and be out of phone signal for just about all of that time. Um, and Jill was actually able to follow along and see how I was going and where I was moving. Now, as, she, as Jill mentioned before, it works really well, except when you are in deep valleys with dense foliage and there's thunderstorms going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> now, this is not a criticism specifically of Spot. This is an issue of any satellite technology. If the conditions are that bad, all satellite systems are going to be affected by these sort of conditions. So, again, it's the sort of thing that you know, if you do have someone following you, you do need to let them know that if the weather conditions are forecast to be not so good, don't worry too much, um, you know, check back an hour later and see if there's any issues. 
Well, the interesting thing about that particular day, so I think that was probably the first time that it had been used for um, Tim's solo hiking. Um, the, the, the particular thing about that day was where I was, the storms were absolutely horrendous. Um, where he was, they weren't nearly as bad, but um, I, I wasn't aware of that at the time in terms of the conditions. Um, I just kept seeing his little spot stop. <laughs> Um, so again, this is the sort of thing that, um, it's not 100% reliable, but I don't think any system's going to be. I've also had my messages not get through. And when we were on the overland track in Tasmania in some fairly dense wooded sort of areas, again, the weather conditions weren't crash hot. Um, my sister, who was my responsible person back home, didn't receive the message, even though my device was actually flashing a, a certain set of lights saying, yep, the signal's been sent. Uh, and this worried her a bit. Uh, and even though I did actually say to her, the signals may not actually get through, she got a bit worried. So again, not 100% reliable, and it's nothing to do really with the technology as such. It's more to do with the limitations of the technology in relation to weather conditions and environmental conditions. Now, the second option in the messaging system that we've got access to is the Garmin InReach. Um, this is a, a product... Uh, uh, InReach was a, a company in its own right, which Garmin bought in, in the last few years, and they've taken this system to the next level. Now, as of May 2018, there are three versions of the Garmin InReach, and they use the Iridium satellite network for their signal. Just like the spot, you can have your family and friends follow you along uh, uh, on the internet. Um, and in addition, an extra bonus for this system is you can actually get a weather service, either, either it be a basic weather service or a premium weather service. So if you happen to be in the middle of nowhere, you're trying to work out what the weather's doing over the next few days, it might be, there might be a blizzard coming through or might be something, uh, a really strong uh, uh, thunderstorm or wind conditions coming through and you want to know, uh, this is a, a system that will allow you to do that when you don't have access to your phone system. Now, currently we've got three InReach units available. The first unit is the InReach SE Plus. This is the basic version, and it provides limited, limited GPS functionality that provides basic grid navigation and waypoint marking. Um, and for a lot of times when I'm hiking, I'm carrying a GPS to mark the details of uh, the hike itself, I want to know the altitudes and distances. I don't necessarily want to follow along on a map. So this unit would actually be quite a good one. The next level and their top of the range one is the InReach Explorer Plus. Uh, and you jump from being $599 for the SE Plus to $699 for the Explorer Plus. And these are Australian prices. They have all the bells and whistles, including topographic maps. Uh, so if you're wanting to use, really combine the functionality of a full GPS uh, with an emergency device and a messaging system, um, uh, this is the way to go. As of the very late April, beginning of May, Garmin's also released, released the InReach Mini. Now, this is the smallest version that weighs about 100 grams and is about half the size of the full-size Garmin's. Um, this unit as well as the others will also pair with your mobile phone to allow you to access maps because the screen really is a bit too small to be trying to read maps on the screen. Now with the reduction in size and weight also comes reduction in battery life. So 
Um, in active mode, the inReach Mini will only last roughly around about 50 hours, whereas the other inReach units will last 75 to 100 hours, depending on what you're doing with it. So it's, you know, which unit you choose um, is going to be really um, the way to go. Now, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure the advertised price of the inReach Mini was $499. So again, it's the, the cheaper end of the range. So this unit is designed to pair with a mobile phone, as I said, to access maps. Uh, providing you're carrying a mobile phone, which most of us tend to these days, uh, you can actually access the maps online through the satellite system. Now, as I said, these units have the benefit of two-way communication. So with Spot, you can only send a message out. You can't receive messages. With the Garmin units, you can send a text message and also receive a message to say that your message has been received. Now, I couldn't really find the information online from Garmin, uh, and I wasn't 100% clear on this, uh, but when you send a text message or call a satellite phone, in which case this is, this is going to be the case, the costs are likely to be a bit more than just a standard text message. But I could be wrong on this. So again, it's the sort of thing, um, I couldn't really find it very obviously on Garmin's website, and it was a bit hard to tell from the plans that were available. So I certainly wouldn't be using this to be text sitting there texting the entire day backwards and forwards. Uh, it's certainly, from my perspective, it would be just something at the end of the day to say, look, I've reached camp, everything's okay, I'll chat to you tomorrow night. Now, like the Spot device, you need to add a subscription service. So the Garmin units are certainly much more expensive than the Spot units, but where potentially there can be cost savings is in the actual subscription service itself. Now, Garmin do have an annual subscription. So if you happen to be doing a lot of hiking, and again, same as the Spot, if you're hiking very regularly and using the services of your messaging system on a monthly basis, both of these units, and in fact, the spot may well end up being cheaper than the Garmin over a 12-month period, depending on what you're actually doing. But one of the advantages of Garmin is you can access it and have a 30-day plan uh, that you suspend. So you pay a, a yearly access fee, uh, and I think it's around about the $37 mark at the moment. Uh, you pay a monthly fee. Uh, and and as I said, I've looked at this from a point of view of my Bibbleman track hike and allowing for the monthly fee for two months, the yearly access fee and the actual subscription fee was going to cost me about $122 for the trip. Whereas if I take my spot, I have already paid for that for the subscription service. But if I just look at it for the one trip, it's a $300 subscription. As I said, if you're looking at these units, I'd probably suggest sitting down for half a day, working out what sort of hiking you're likely to be doing, look at the costings of both these units, uh, and see how they compare to see which is the unit you want. As I said, the InReach, if you pick, you pick on the InReach Explorer Plus, is a full-on GPS, uh, so that's an added benefit over and above just the spot, uh, which is just more messaging service. So... Just as final, a set of final words, you may not decide to go beyond just using your mobile phone and just use it to check in at predetermined times as and when you have a signal. 
Um, and I'll give you an example through here. When we were on the Larapenta Trail in 2016, there were very limited occasions where we had access to the phone system. Uh, and with any confidence, there was probably really only three, possibly four mm. uh, areas where you would get phone signal in a in an approximate, for us, it was a, a 13-day period. So it means we're only checking in roughly about every four to five days. So providing you let somebody know that your checking in is going to be very infrequent and they're only likely to hear from you a couple of times, um, that should be fine. Um, so it's you know if you're going to go down this road, nothing wrong with this at all. Um, and that's the old-fashioned way of doing things. I mean, even maybe not even checking in at all and just telling someone you're going to be away for 10 or 12 days and you'll be back at a certain time and you'll call them. Now, while Jill is happy to let me wander off on a 5 to 6 3 through hike, the ability to check in regularly will help to minimise any worry that she has about me being okay. I was going to say, a fancy satellite phone is not going to stop me from worrying about you while you're wandering the wilderness for five to six weeks. Um, there are probably a lot of other things I'll be concerned about as well. Now let's look at some uh, some news that relates to hiking that's come up over the last uh, last month and probably more, more specifically probably over the last week or so. Um, on the 5th of May, uh, the launch of the completed Lavender Trail uh, in South Australia, which stretches from Murray Bridge to Clare, um, uh, was officially opened. Um, so we discussed the uh, uh, the Lavender Trail um, in our epi- podcast episode 64 on the Australian Long Trails. And as we mentioned, this is a glamping trail which relies on not camping um, as you go, but rather than camping in towns or caravan parks or uh, accommodation. Uh, but certainly that's now officially opened and ready for those people that are keen and eager to go through and do it. The second track that was in the uh, the news in the last few days was the South Coast track in Tasmania. Uh, and there's been an announcement that a private business proposed a proposal to build six huts along the South Coast track in Tasmania's, in Tasmania's Wilderness World Heritage Area has been given almost $3 million for, uh, uh, for advancement by the federal government. This project involves building six environmentally sensitive huts along the 85-kilometre South Coast track, um, and uh, it allows for a seven-day commercial guided walk for small groups of 10 guests and two guides. It provides a new opportunity for people to walk, um, and this is considered to be a very physically demanding track, and this will open this up to people who may not have the ability to do the, the track unsupported. Um, now, the track still has to be formally approved. Nothing has been given the go-ahead as yet, but the funding has been provided should the track go ahead, and this funding will provide 50% of the overall projected cost. We discussed the, the future of hiking um, uh, previously, and one of the things that um, there's been a lot of um, argy-bargy, I suppose, particularly with the South Coast track in relation to keeping it a wild track and keeping it as, as natural as possible. 
The issue that uh, Tasmanian parks have got is that the numbers of people are doing it are increasing quite dramatically. The track is being trashed quite badly um, and becoming very muddy in some areas. So the likelihood of these huts being built in in by themselves um, is unlikely. There's also going to likely to be boardwalks and and other infrastructure built just to help preserve the track itself. The other option would be to limit the number of people that do this um, and, re- and thereby reducing the number of people that have access. So whether you like the idea or not, uh, this is the route they've gone through and taken on, particularly as Tasmania tries to get away from uh, resources like uh, uh, forestry logging uh, to try to engage in the tourism industry. And the, there is a bit of an argument that says the more people who get to experience um, uh, the wilderness and experience the amazing um, hikes and bushwalks that Australia has on offer, the the more people um, will value, uh, understand and value um, the importance of uh, safeguarding and protecting uh, these heritage resources. So, you know, I'm a little bit in favour, and um, I don't, I don't actually mind it being a little bit of glamping. Um, not that I'm allowed to do glamping, um, isn't that right, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I do sometimes think that we're a little bit um, extremist when we do things. It's it, it's a bit of all or nothing, and um, you know, sometimes things like this can be a nice halfway house. So I, I think it's a reasonable thing to do and a great opportunity for those who, you know, need need a little bit more encouragement to get out there. We'll provide the links to both these articles uh, which appeared which have appeared in the news over the last week to 10 days uh, on our show notes on our website. So if you want me to read more about both of these, uh, uh, these bits of hiking news, uh, please go and have through and have a look at our show notes. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and that it provided some useful tips for you. And next regular episode will be released in two weeks' time. And in episode 67, we'll be discussing the concept of hike your own hike and what this means for you. As always, you can listen to our podcast through the Australian Hiker website, through Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you have the chance, please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for this week. Bye for now. And bye from me.